To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You were not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you have seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. 
but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Hi everyone, let me have my welcome to Pete's. Great to see you here. My name's Mark, I'm one of the ministers, and a particular warm welcome if this is your first time at our Wednesday lunchtime service. It's great to uh, see you here. And this is actually um, the last in the series that we've been looking at since the start of 2018, looking at the first eight chapters of John's Gospel, one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. And if you've been following us along with us at all with the series, you'll know that Jesus has been making some startling claims about himself, um, that true knowledge of God comes only through belief in him, that true satisfaction in life only comes through belief in him, that a genuine relationship with God, the forgiveness of sin, the life we were made for, only comes through belief in him. And therefore, if Jesus' claims about himself are true, then there is nothing more important in life (coughs) than for you and I to believe in Jesus Christ for ourselves. I mean, it's the very reason why John is writing his gospel. We saw that right at the start, going forward to chapter 20, verse 30. He says, I'm writing this gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the very meaning of life. That is life to the full through belief in him. So it begs the question for us this lunchtime, what does it mean exactly to believe in Jesus Christ, given the stakes are so high on this? Especially important question when you turn to our passage now, if you just glance down to verse 31 where we start, and we read about the Jews who had believed him. These are people who were believing in Jesus Christ. But now look at the final verse of the passage, verse 59, where these same people are now picking up stones to stone him. So clearly there is something wrong with their belief. It is misguided belief. It is misplaced belief. It might be that their belief is very sincere at the start of the passage, but we can see by the end of the passage, it is sincerely wrong. What is genuine belief in Jesus Christ? Growing up, I used to call myself a Christian. Looking back on it, the reason why I did was because from my point of view, I thought, well, I'd been born into a traditionally Christian country. I'd had some Christian input from church and from school. Um, I knew I wasn't a Jew or a Muslim. I believed in God, so I'm a Christian, aren't I? but I couldn't have been more wrong. What is the difference between a genuine Christian and one whose belief is actually misplaced and misguided? It could be you you know of people who used to profess faith in Jesus Christ. They were on fire for the Lord. They were a real example to you. And yet now, 5, 10, 15 years later, they are nowhere with the Lord. To you, it seemed that their belief was genuine. It was real. But now, you see it's not. How do we make sure that is not true of us? How do we make sure we have genuine belief in Jesus Christ? That's our question. What does it mean to have genuine belief in Jesus Christ? And in our passage, we are given two key traits of genuine belief. Holding to the teaching of Jesus, grasping the true identity of Jesus. And we'll look at them one by one. So first, genuine belief holds to the teaching of Jesus. 
And verse 31, Jesus says to these Jewish people who profess belief in him, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Holding to the teaching of Jesus, that is the key marker of a genuine disciple. If you do that, then you are really my disciple. Not holding to my teaching from 15 years ago or 15 months ago or even 15 days ago, but holding to my teaching today and continuing to do so. That is the mark of genuine belief. That is the mark of a real disciple. Holding to his teaching, clinging to it, basing your entire life on it. And doing so no matter how unpalatable that teaching from Jesus becomes. Because did you notice as this passage was read out? There was some pretty strong teaching here from him. Um, Just glance down at verse 33. These Jewish people, they're not happy. They're beginning to question Jesus' teaching. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we should be set free? And Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And clearly these Jews are sinning, verse 37, because Jesus says, you are looking for a way to kill me. Now, of course, no one likes to be told they're a sinner. No one likes to be told by nature they are slaves to sin. It's such strong language from Jesus here. No one likes to be told that they are trapped in sin, that they can't do anything about their sin, that they need Jesus and his truth to set them free. No one likes that. But the genuine disciple of Jesus accepts it and holds to it. No matter how unpalatable it may seem at first, they recognize in in themselves that they don't stand up or keep up to their own standards let alone God's perfect standards. That they can't break free from their sin. That they need help from Jesus to be set free (coughs) from their sin. Genuine belief holds to the teaching of Jesus, even his very strong teaching on sin and what is going on at the heart of human nature. Now, the Jewish people here do not like it. They say in verse 39, Abraham is our father. We are God's chosen people. We are the privileged ones. We are okay. To which Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did, who trusted God's word, who held to the teaching of God's word. As it is, Jesus says in verse 40, you are looking for a way to kill me. It does not matter the religious privileges that you have, that you enjoy, that you've experienced. We still need to admit our sin and we still need to turn to Jesus to set us free from that sin. It's a wonderful privilege to grow up in a Christian home and it's a wonderful privilege to go along to a faithful church. These are wonderful privileges, but these privileges do not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is turning to the teaching of Jesus, holding to it what he teaches about sin and our need to be set free from it. You may have Christian parents. You may have Christian friends. These are wonderful privileges. They do not make you Christian. What makes you Christian is you holding to the teaching of Jesus Christ 
for yourself and admitting your sin and your need for Jesus Christ to set you free from it. It is wonderful if you believed in Jesus' teaching 15 years ago, 15 months ago, 15 days ago. It does not make you a Christian today. What makes you a Christian today is trusting and holding to his teaching today. Do you still a sinner? You still need his grace. You still need his forgiveness. You still need him to continue to set you free. Can I ask, are you doing that? Because as Jesus says, only then are you really my disciple. Well, this is all getting too much for the people Jesus is addressing. Um, they can't handle this truth from Jesus, this strong language about human nature. And in verse 41, if you glance down, they start to resort to insult. They say to Jesus, we are not illegitimate children. We're not the ones who were conceived out of wedlock. We're not the ones who don't know who our father is, Jesus. The only father we have is God himself. To which Jesus says in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. Why did my mother Mary conceive outside of wedlock? Because she was conceived of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is saying, God is my father. But the fact that you're trying to kill me when I've come from God shows that you belong to someone else. The source of all evil, all murderous desires like wanting to kill me, all lies, the devil himself. And in verse 44, these are Jesus' words, these these are not my words, Jesus says, verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. The British vicar and theologian John Stott once said of Jesus Christ, the popular image of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, simply will not do. It is a false image. To be sure, Jesus was full of love, compassion, and tenderness, but Jesus was also uninhibited in exposing error and denouncing sin, especially hypocrisy. And that is what we see going on here with this very strong language that Jesus uses. He is exposing error, he is denouncing sin, especially hypocrisy, especially those who claim to know God, have an experience of God, claim God as their father, even though their actions clearly show that they are anything but close to him. And you and I can claim to know God, claim to be close to him, claim to have experiences of him, claim to have him as our father. But if our attitude to Jesus is anything less than love for him and love for his teaching as one who is sent from God, then that claim is just as fake, just as false, just as shame. (coughs) Genuine belief holds to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, I find this a very sobering message for us this lunchtime particularly those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Here is an opportunity for us to examine our faith. Check it is genuine. Are we holding to the teaching of Jesus? Or are there some parts of his teaching that we are deliberately ignoring? Yeah, I know Jesus says that sex is for marriage. I know that Jesus teaches that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. But that was back then, and culture's moved on. We're in a different place today. We need to be very careful, thinking like that. So what if culture's moved on? Jesus' teaching never moves on. This is God's truth for every age, no matter what culture says. 
and the genuine disciple holds to it. No matter what culture says about it, no matter what our friends say about it, no matter if we're mocked for it, the genuine disciple holds to the teaching of Jesus Christ. (coughs) Just to be clear on this, holding to Jesus' teaching does not mean we have to keep all his commandments perfectly. Jesus just taught that we're sinners, we're trapped in sin, we need him to set us free. But part of holding to Jesus' teaching is admitting our sin, confessing our sin, receiving forgiveness for sin, asking him for power to change. That is what it means to hold to his teaching. Well, look, if that is the first mark of genuine belief, the second, in verses 48 to 59, is that genuine belief grasps the true identity of Jesus. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you, Jesus, are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, think of the worst possible insult at the time, and this is probably it. I mean, Jews and Samaritans did not get on well together. They're like Man United and Man City supporters. They're enemies. And to be demon-possessed was to be called crazy and evil. Who's that you, Jesus? You crazy and evil and our enemy. Um, Jesus is just so wonderfully calm with them here. He doesn't lose it with them. He doesn't resort to name-calling. He quickly refutes their claim, verse 49, I'm not possessed by a demon, because I honour my Father. And then Jesus holds out to them this wonderful offer of life in verse 51. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. It's often said that uh, people are defined by how they react, um, perform under pressure. And just look at Jesus here. He's not repaying evil with evil. He is repaying evil with tremendous good this incredible offer of life, this offer of life to people who are plotting his death. Such love from Jesus, such grace, admits such hate. Now this is who Jesus is, offering this promise to never see death. When he says never see death, he's not meaning physical death, the disciples died, we all die. He is offering here something far, far better. This is never seeing spiritual death. This is never seeing eternal death. This is never seeing and experiencing the horror of an eternal separation from God that our sin deserves. That is what Jesus is offering for anyone who trusts his word, obeys his word of forgiveness, his word that will set us free. Whoever, even these people who are plotting to kill him, there is this offer of life with him. If only we will grasp his teaching and hold to it. But these people don't see it. They don't see who Jesus is. Verse 52, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Good question. That's the question you're supposed to be answering for yourselves. But Jesus is so patient with them and talks to them about God glorifying him. Verse 54, that's who he is of him knowing God, of obeying God's word, verse 55. Verse 56, Jesus even speaks about Abraham rejoicing at the thought of seeing Jesus' day because Jesus is the fulfillment of everything Abraham and the prophets and all of the Old Testament look forward to. And then in verse 58, Jesus gives another of his startling claims. He says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
And at this, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because I am is the name of God himself. <coughs> the name, the very name that God gave Moses all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, when he revealed himself to Moses, revealed his name before Abraham was born, I am. But the Jews see it as blasphemy because they've not yet grasped who Jesus is. And so their belief is shown to be false. No matter how sincere it is. Because genuine belief grasps the true identity of Jesus Christ. Fully human, fully divine, the word made flesh, God in human form. If you are someone here looking into Christianity, I hope you can see that the Christian claim is that Jesus Christ is no ordinary man, no ordinary teacher, no ordinary prophet, but he is the very incarnation of God himself. He is God in human form. And that is why Jesus can speak so authoritatively about human nature and our sin and our need to be set free from sin because he's our creator, he made us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. It's why Jesus Christ can offer forgiveness of sin, even when sin is ultimately an offence against God, because he is God in human form. And it is why Jesus can offer life after death, because he is the very author of life and death. Sometimes people say to me, you know, did Jesus himself actually claim to be divine? Well, look, we've seen his own words here in verse 58. Before Abraham was born, I am. That is an as, as clear a claim to divinity as you can have in a Jewish context. And that leaves us with only one of three options when it comes to Jesus' identity. As C.S. Lewis famously put it, either Jesus can be mad to claim to be God, he's a little bit lost it in his head, Jesus can be bad, evil, to purposely lie about being God. But you look at his life, his love, his grace, what he achieved in his life, how does that work with an evil, crazy person? Or Jesus is who he says he is, and he is God. Mad, bad, or God. But, says Lewis, let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher, because he has not left that open to us. Can I ask? Who do you think Jesus Christ really is? Genuine belief grasps his true identity. More controversially, what Jesus is saying here about himself means that not all religions can be the same. In Judaism, Jesus is absolutely not the Messiah he can't be. In Islam, Jesus is absolutely not divine. In Hinduism, Jesus is just one God among many, many gods. But in Christianity, Jesus is the Messiah. He is definitely divine, as the claim goes. And he alone is the one and only Son of God. Now, if Christianity is true about what it says about Jesus, by definition, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism cannot also be right about him. And it doesn't matter how sincere their beliefs are. Jesus would say, not me, Jesus would say, they are sincerely wrong. Genuine belief grasps the true identity of Jesus Christ. Finally, if you are someone here who does profess belief in Jesus Christ, let's make sure 
that our picture of him is the same picture that we get of him here and throughout scripture. That quote from John Stott, one who is full of love, compassion and tenderness, but also one who is uninhibited in exposing error and denouncing sin, especially hypocrisy. Jesus is one who hates sin, but offers freedom from sin. Jesus is one who is full of love, even when he is met with terrible hate. Jesus is one who offers eternal life, even to those who are plotting his death. This is who Jesus is. This is the Jesus of the Bible, fully human, fully divine. What then does it mean exactly to have belief in Jesus Christ? It means these two things, holding to the teaching of Jesus, all of it, no matter how unpalatable it may seem, and grasping the true identity of Jesus Christ, fully human, fully divine, sent from God. That is how you can know that your belief in Jesus Christ is genuine. That is how you can be sure that you are getting the single most important thing in life right belief in him. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we're conscious that there are some aspects of your word, the Bible, which are hard-hitting and strong. And yet we are seeing here today, Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, fully human and fully divine, and therefore absolutely has the right and the authority to speak into our lives, speak about human nature, the reality of sin, a slavery to it, and him being the unique person who can set us free from it. I pray, Father, that wherever we are coming from today along the spiritual spectrum, that you would help us to see Jesus as he really is, to grasp his true identity, to accept his teaching, and to hold to his teaching all the days of our lives, for then we know we really are your disciples. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.